0: Please open with me in your Bibles to the letter of James. As we do so, I'm going to cheat. So turn to James 1 and so I'm going to cheat. I'm just going to tell you real quick before we even do the reading who this James in most probability is. There's about three Jameses in the Bible we could choose from as to who wrote this letter. The one would be the Apostle James. I remember James and John uh, sons of zebedee uh, most uh, scholars and church historians believe it wouldn't be him because he was martyred very early on in the book of acts that's one reason the other james was the who's, who is called james the lesser and it's possible it could be him but the third one is the one that really gained a lot of uh, ground in the early church and it's the traditional view and i have no reason to doubt it and that is james the half-brother of jesus That's who most folks believe wrote this. And as you look at the content, it would certainly uh, seem to fit and be appropriate. And the one interesting thing, uh, before we even get into the message, is how he addresses himself, or what he calls himself here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that he introduces it and the way he uh, addresses it is to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. That doesn't mean the Jewish folk who were scattered. The 12 tribes represents the whole people of God and that's all of us Jew and Gentile in Christ who have been scattered uh, throughout the Roman world then and now throughout the world. So when we pray things like we prayed earlier today, um, God will redeem Israel. That's us now. It's the believing Jews and Gentiles. So that was my, I cheated a little bit so I didn't have to kind of work that into the sermon because once we get going you're going to want to put your uh, seat on for this one two to four and then verse 12 and then next week we'll go back up to the top and pick up the verses that we didn't get and go a little further to 12 let's stand together for the reading of God's authoritative word hear God's word to you this morning consider it pure joy my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant its blossoms falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Trials. Hardships. Suffering. Disappointments. Truth be told, they they all come upon all the sons of men. And the Bible makes it particularly clear that they come upon Christians. Those who call themselves followers of Christ. Those who belong to God the Father through faith in the Son Jesus. John Calvin one of our forefathers in the faith, writes this, Whoever the Lord has adopted and deemed worthy of His fellowship ought to prepare themselves for a hard, toilsome, and unquiet life crammed with very many and various kinds of evil. It is the Heavenly Father's will thus to exercise them so as to put His own children to a definite test, beginning with Christ, His firstborn, he follows this plan with all his children. <laughs> Thanks, John. But as we're going to see, John is, ain't nothing compared to what James is about to tell us. Interestingly enough, as I really have been feasting on this text um, spiritually, you'll notice in your own life, and as the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you observe things, the more you'll see this, The very same test, the very same trial, can cause one person to curse God, right? And walk away from the faith. If this is the way it's going to be, then I'm out. But it's interesting, with another person, that very same trial and difficulty in life could end up making them draw closer to God and bear deep, luscious fruit for Jesus. And you just see sweetness come out. What's the difference? What makes the difference? James makes it clear, not only in our passage this morning, but as we're going to have the joy of going through this entire book, James makes it very clear it's a matter of faith. There's those who have it, and there are those who don't. As a matter of fact, that's really partially we're going to see very clearly in this book. That's one of the main themes of this letter, this epistle. The testing of our faith in two ways. The test to see if it's genuine. If it really is the real deal. And that should be something we should be very interested in because the Bible consistently... Notice, this is a thing we've seen in the other books that we've been going through. Is your faith real? And James is going to give us many tests for that. But there's another sense in which we're going to see faith is tested. And that is a sense to take the genuine faith that is there and then make it grow deeper and mature. And complete. It's a book about testing. And that's why he begins his letter by writing th- writing this. Verse 2 Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. What's very important here, it's always important to see this whenever you're studying a letter, or any book of the Bible for that matter, is who is James addressing? And notice what he says. Consider it all joy who? My My brethren, my brothers. He's addressing those who have a faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are part of the family of God, those who believe. And James is telling us in particular as the children of God, as Jesus' disciples, how we are to respond when when, not if, but when the difficulties and the trials and the troubles of life come upon us. And he wants to ensure, this is the main thing, I don't know about you, but I could say, for me, I want the trials to make me better, not bitter. And and as your pastor, or as a pastor who's concerned for your soul, if you're here this morning as a guest, I want the same for you in your life. I want to see you get better through these trials. And James, that's his uh, interest as well. So what we're going to see, And for time's sake, I'm only going to be able to hit a couple points. That's why I'm going to back up and keep going next week. Uh, We're going to see this. As believers, we are called to rejoice in our trials, knowing that our loving Father uses them to mature our faith in this life and reward it in the next. That's the key. Knowing that He uses these trials to mature us, mature our faith in this life, and then reward it in the life to come. Those are the two points. Take a look at the first one. We're called to make the choice to rejoice because of what our trials produce. That's an important point. Look at verse 2 again. Consider a pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, we have to admit, that sounds pretty crazy. Let's be honest. I mean, sometimes as Christians, we don't like to come out and say how we actually feel. But actually, when you stop the reading right there, especially, you're thinking, "That's nuts." Is James calling us to be sadists? What's a sadist? Someone who says, "Hit me, I like it." You know, consider a joy. Oh, I'm so glad this tragedy hit me. You know, or is, is he calling us to be you know those those kind of people who don't actually live in reality? You know, and I I really hesitated about using this example, but I can't help it. You know, like in Monty Python, the guy cuts his arm off and he's like, it's only a flesh wound. You know, the rest of us are going, Is that what he's doing? Well, I'll tell you what. If he stopped right there, then we would have to say, yes, that is crazy. But he doesn't actually stop right there. He goes on to tell us why we're to consider it or count it pure joy when we face all kinds of trials. Look at verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So it's not that we put a positive spin on a difficult situation or even that we should look at our trials in life from a particular perspective, although we are to do that. No, it's a plain fact, a biblical truth, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance in faith in your life. And that's why we can count it all joy. James actually puts it this way. He says, because you know. He's not saying anything new to those who have been walking with Jesus. You know in your life. If you're a true believer, you've seen it, there's a pattern. You know from the Gospel that when you're tested and when you go through hard times, it actually deepens your faith. And it actually gives you that want to keep going even harder. In other words, in the text here, actually, and in the Greek, the word for perseverance is—it's hard to translate into English. So we would say stick to itness. That's what that's what it, it produces—the stick to itness. And I love. There's an old saying you've probably heard me say it before, but I have to repeat it now because it's so perfect for this context. It's, it's an old—I think it's an old English, I guess, British proverb. A smooth sea never made a skilled mariner. That's so true. It's a general rule. That's what trials do for genuine believers. And we know this because we've all experienced this to one degree or another. We find that the trials that we feared actually makes our faith stronger. It causes us to learn, lean harder on our Savior, to cry out to Him more fervently and definitely to follow him more closely. I think it's um, J.I. Packer that says, you know, we may not want to hold the Father's hand when it's in full daylight, but when we're in a dark pit and we can't see, we're a little more apt to reach for his hand. Walter Henderson puts it this way, God allows hardships to enter our lives to build our spiritual muscles. As a matter of fact, here's the thing that we have to learn, especially for younger believers. The only way perseverance can be developed is in the crucible of fiery testing. It's not an option. It is the way of Christian maturity. When you're dealing with that unreasonable boss, the rebellious teenager, health issues, Financial setbacks, and specifically and especially, uh, James is hitting on this, or if you're dealing with persecution or rejection because of your faith in Christ. Do you rejoice knowing that these things are producing the very things that God promised that He would do for you, and that's making you mature and steadfast in the faith? That's the question. Do you see these things? as an extension of your loving Heavenly Father's fingers molding you and pinching you. Like we sang, you are the potter, right? I am the clay. But you know what happens? You ever see the potter with the clay? And I've said this before, it's kind of like, ouch, ooh, Ee!" You you think you're being stretched beyond degree, but he's making something beautiful out of you. And also notice this, James doesn't say, feel joyful. Because no one when they're going through suffering, again, unless there is something seriously wrong with them, is actually feeling happy. I don't know about you, but I try to avoid pain. No, he says, count it all joy. With that deep joy that when God gives, no one can take away. Circumstances don't affect it. Here's the thing God is truly more concerned that you become a mature, strong, persevering believer than He is concerned with your comfort or with your temporal happiness. That's what James is saying here. Now, I don't know if I could pronounce her name correctly, but it's Adelaide Pollard. She believed that the Lord wanted her in Africa as a missionary. But she was unable to raise the funds to go. In an uncertain state of mind, she attended a prayer meeting where she heard an elderly woman pray It's all right, Lord. It doesn't matter what you bring into our lives, just have your own way with us. At home that night, really encouraged, she wrote this Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yield it and still. Now, I've got to say something about the faith of this woman just for a second. Her trial was that she couldn't go to Africa. <laughs> think about that. That's powerful faith, isn't it? She had a real heart for the gospel and for her Lord and Savior. Now, when you think about this, all of God's champions of faith were refined in the fire. Job. Is there anyone, God Himself says, there's no one on this earth like my servant Job. And man, what? He suffered like no one that we know of on earth. But it's not just Job. Look at Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Like I almost wonder, I, and I know by, by faith I know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you read his story, right? constantly, God promises him that they're all going to bow down to him. He has these wonderful dreams and he finds himself at the bottom of a cistern, a well. And who threw him there? His own brothers. He finds himself, and then he finally sees light. He's getting out. Oh, good, I'm getting out. Where does he go? Into slavery, to a foreign land. Then what happens there? He's doing the right thing. He's helping this guy out and his wife tries to sleep with him, right? And it wasn't his fault. He runs away and she grabs the cloak and so he runs away naked And then what does she say? She lies. She sets him up. And what happens to the poor Joseph? Thrown into prison for years. But did that make Joseph bitter? Did he say, I'm done with the God of Israel? I think I'm going to worship the false gods of Egypt? Or no God? No, we see that when the time comes... He says to his brothers, what an opportunity. Remember, he's now second to Pharaoh himself. He's, this is the time now I can make you pay. And he says what? He, f- he says, I forgive you. Right? He says, Well, you might have meant for evil, or you meant for evil, God meant for good to save many lives, and he embraces his brothers. I can go on and on, but certainly in the New Testament as well, Peter, Paul, Timothy... These were men who knew their degree, their MDiv, and their DMIN was the scars on their back for Jesus. Modern times, William Carey. He had a family and particularly had a wife that was a great trial to him. Made his life miserable and difficult as he was trying to bring the gospel to people who had not heard it in India. Elizabeth Elliot. We can go on and on. But Spurgeon puts it this way, summarizes it for us. Many men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. These trials are sent by a loving God who uses them to mold you in His image. They're developing you this mature faith, this steadfastness that you so much desire and that you, that you admire in your heroes. We think, think of all your heroes of faith, Right? But then you see how they became mature. So in other words, let me bring it down to you. I wish I could be like Paul. We could arrange that, right? Beaten with the cat and nine tails how many times? Shipwrecked without food? Stoned to the point where they said, boy, that dude's dead. <laughs> they, just, they put the stones down. He's finished and walked away. That's Paul imprisoned. He wrote these beautiful, wonderful epistles that we love to read. The book of Ephesians. I sit in my study, nice and calm, with a cup of coffee. How did he write that book? When he was in shackles, in a dungeon. Wow. Well, I wish, some ladies may say, I wish I'd be like Elizabeth Elliot. Do you? She lost a number of husbands, and the, the love of her life she followed to the mission field And had to see him get speared through her husband, Jim. And yet her books have been such a blessing. They ooze with godly wisdom and the grace of God. Oh, ultimately to be like Jesus. Well, good news. God, if you're really his, God won't stop until you become like Jesus. That's his goal for you. And think about this: the book of Hebrews tells us, even our Lord and Savior learned obedience in His human nature through suffering. When I was young, I remember there was one of my buddies who was suffering. And it's always difficult you, you, to minister to someone who's suffering. If you're not in that particular place at that time, you want to be compassionate and kind and understanding. And the Lord gave me these words, "Well, wisdom well beyond my age. It came from him. I said, you know what, Charlie? He who God loved the most suffered the most. God loved no one more than his one and only son. And look at how much he suffered for you and for me. God is at work, my brother, my sister, when you see suffering in your life. You're a work in progress and so you could count it All joy. James continues by saying this. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And here's the thing. If you want that goal for your life, there is no quick way to it. There's no quick fix. There's no prayer that you pray that, oh, you're holy in ten seconds. It doesn't happen like that. You want to go to a biblical text that tells you about holiness and how to grow in faith? Here it is. And there's no shortcut. There's no seminar you can attend. There's no program you could go through of 12 lessons. There's no experience. It's a one-time deal. It's through the school of suffering. Now, um, I, like you, I listen to sermons too because I need my soul to be fed. And one of my favorite go-to guys Is I've told you before, he's retired. He's in his late 80s now. He's in England. His name is Dick Lucas. And I pulled out one of his old sermons from 1969, so it couldn't be any good, right? Well, right up to date. And I want to just say, I want a quote from his message that I was listening to and I was blessed by. And um, he says this. It's powerful. He says, We don't expect the testing of our faith to produce this slow progress, do we? On the contrary, we tend to think that this kind of opposition, when it comes, will produce shipwreck. I love him because he's so honest, right? We think that these, these, the suffering and trials are going to wreck our faith. So we pray something like this. I like this. We say this. Oh, Lord, we see that this boy that we know from our old church, um, he just got saved. He's a newcomer, and he's coming to the city. Do keep him away from non-Christian friends. Do stop temptations from hitting him too quickly. Do keep that tiresome person at home who does so much to harm the Christian faith out of his way. In other words, we say, Lord, please make his way smooth for a few months so that he may stand firm as a Christian. Whereas if my eyesight is correct, Dick says, what this sentence is saying is, Lord, if it's your will, don't make the pathway plain. We say, Lord, the pathway must be plain if he is to persist and continue, whereas the Lord says, if he is to persist and continue, his pathway mustn't be plain. Isn't that powerful? I had to quote that because wherever you find truth, I need to feed you with good truth. His point is that according to James, there's no shortcut. And one more quote from him, he summarizes it this way. You cannot become mature, unblemished, and lacking of nothing except through the passing of years and manifold trials. Holiness is not an experience that you receive, but a proved Christian character that God makes. Isn't that awesome? Some of us have been walking with Jesus, we realize, that's gold we just heard. Because you hear a lot of nonsense from a lot of preachers. I'm sorry. But this is so true. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to go to my second and last thing I want to point out to the text from the text is not only that we can, face, we can face our trials with joy because of what God is working in us now, that perseverance, the maturity of faith, but also we can rejoice because of what we are looking forward to in the future if we persevere in faith in the world life of the world to come. And that's the second thing we see. We're called to make the choice to rejoice because of what the product of our trials leads to. Look at verse 12. Last thing. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We can rejoice not only because of what God's doing right now. And isn't that what our world's about In this culture, it's always about right now, constantly. And the Bible says it's not about right now. It's about when Jesus comes and when He makes all things right. We live in a a sad, sorrowful, hurting, broken, disappointing world, don't we? And the older we get, we realize we go from disappointment to disappointment. Disappointment. And how often we have to remind each other, brothers and sisters, we're not home yet. This isn't the end game. This is when you see that caterpillar in that cocoon and weird things are going on in there and they're thrashing around like crazy. That's what's going on right now. The coming out of the cocoon and the, the becoming a butterfly ultimately is in the life of the world to come. He that rides to be crowned, says John Trapp, will not think much of a rainy day. Isn't that interesting? If you're headed to the purpose of the life of the world to come, you're not going to worry too much about rain and trials and difficulties because you know where your end goal is. Excuse me. Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 8 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's saying, well, I can't, they, they don't even compare. When I look at glory, man, my eyes are on the prize because there ain't nothing like it in this world. When George Matheson was entering into a promising career, this is a powerful real life illustration. The doctor said to him, you'd better see your friends soon. Before long, the darkness will settle upon you and you will see them no more, forever. That was the doctor's way of saying that soon he would become totally blind. He was engaged to a beautiful young lady. He told her of the calamity which would soon befall him and he gave her permission to break the engagement and she did. The great sorrow deepened his devotion to God. During that soul-refining trial, Matheson wrote these words to a hymn that would bless the church of Jesus for years to come. Listen to these words. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to Thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise not in vain that morn shall tearless be. That's real faith, isn't it? That's faith in the crucible that refuses to become bitter, that refuses to blame God, that refuses to run away from Him because things get hard, but rather to embrace whatever befalls one. Trusting that God loves us, He cares for us, He has a reason even when we can't see it. When I was preparing to visit my Many of you know this, to visit my family in Italy that I searched for for years, for the very first time. Um, I don't know if it was, I lose track of time. I don't know if it was a year and a half, a year, or even longer before I was planning on taking the trip. I was 35 pounds heavier, and I didn't know any, the only Italian I knew were like five slang words. Probably one of them I would have got slapped for, I think, I don't know from growing up, because they didn't teach me, my mom and my grandparents. But I realized at that point, I got to get up off my tush, stop sitting on the couch, and I got to walk the boards, and I got to exercise in order to lose those 35 pounds, which was really like a whole luggage full of weight that I was carrying on my body. If I want to actually enjoy what I get over there and not be like, and I can't do anything. And so when, I was, when it was a, a nighttime, when it was time for me to walk and I was feeling lazy and like, ah, uh, is it worth it? I thought of being over there and I thought of being able to do the things that I want to do and I need to do. But even more importantly, I have this Pimsler approach. It teaches you how to speak Italian, conversational Italian. And I didn't really ever do too good with Spanish. I really did bad with even two years of German. I think I know two sentences. So I put these MP3s on and, and I would put my little headphones in and I would walk the boards and I would repeat. Escolti, repete. You have to listen and repeat. And, and not only that, you're walking on the boardwalk and people are watching you talk out loud because you don't learn a language unless you speak it. And I know people are looking at me going, wow, <laughs> that guy's gone, you know, that type of thing. But, but what kept me at it? Why am I bringing this up? What kept me at it? Because I had this vision of my great aunt. Zia Grazia, and her face. And I had this vision of being able to communicate with her, to be able to tell her what's in my heart and about all the years I looked for her and how much um, I wanted to know about my family. And I had this vision of talking to my other cousins and being able to communicate. And so that actually drove me so that here's the good news. I'm getting to a point here. (laughs) When I got to Italy, my own wife, who was kind of doubtful of my being able to speak Italian and thought I was kind of crazy for buying these CDs. She and my two friends, Tom and Donna, said, Sant, you're doing it. (laughs) They were amazed, so amazed that I was actually talking in Italian to my relatives that they kept interrupting me to be like a translator as if I was totally fluent everywhere we went. But here's the point. I endured some pain, I endured some inconvenience and some humiliation for the promise of what? Future blessing it wasn't about now now it was all about pain pain in the neck struggle because of the future promise But, brothers and sisters what james is saying is how much more should all of we as followers of jesus as those who claim to love god endure present trials and tribulations by looking forward to what awaits us when this life is done and when the race has been won when you're wanting to give up, when you're wanting to lay down on the job, as it were, when you're, when you're tempted to become bitter, remember and look for in your mind's eye because Jesus promised it. Remember that crown, that crown of life that He promised to all those. Notice in the text, all who love Him, right? That's the crown of life that's promised to all who love Him. And so as I come to a close, And as we really just started getting warmed up in um, James' epistle. I want to remind you of a quote that Thomas Boston once said. Had we a clearer view of the other world, we should not make so much of either the smiles or frowns of this one. You realize that? Whether it's people's smiles or people's frowns, we shouldn't even regard them. Because the real issue is I have a home with God in heaven because of what Jesus did for me. What could any trial compare to that? Run as one who is going to win the prize. Brothers and sisters, keep your eyes on the prize. Because listen, as you go through suffering, as you go through trials, you can know this if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. They're for your own good to mature your faith, which is the very thing you say you want. And they're also gonna be crowned in a place of perfection that makes Italy look like the worst ghetto you've ever seen. And glory with God in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promise. We don't say it lightly, we don't take it lightly, don't we don't even believe it lightly, Lord. We know suffering in this life is real and it hurts and it's painful. And yet, Lord, the fruit of it for those of us who embrace it by faith, it's worth it. Lord Jesus, you're worth it. And most of all, that crown that's promised to those who love you and endure through the trials, that's worth anything that this world could possibly offer. We just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.